of Fine Beats and Cheeses, the podcast where we're behind the bushes till we're screaming for more. I am Leslie Gray Streeter. Um, I have successfully made uh, this week's uh, co-host laugh, and you will notice when they start speaking, they are not my usual co-host, my twin sister, Lynn Childress, who makes theater for young people and audiences. They are instead the engine without who this thing would run off the rails, producer Sam. I, I like the implication that we are not running off the rails. We're not, actually. We get close a couple times. We kind of shake it, but we're, you know, Sam keeps us together. Sam Lewis, everybody, is our um, our producer. He uh, rescued us from a lot of what? And uh, like I said, literally today we're sitting there like mostly if there's a problem in the audio, it's usually me. And uh, Sam will go respectfully um can we whatever you did can we not do that um so uh thanks for being here sam uh, absolutely my pleasure i was very excited to hear that someone had attacked your laptop i thought that might be an excuse to fix things uh yes <laughs> but apparently uh, my, you hit the wrong place yes my laptop was um had a interruption or a disruption we were just talking about the word disruption the disruptor in this sense was my nine-year-old child who was playing he's been taking uh lessons of all sorts of things and he had his headsets like a professional uh playing weezer and green day songs into the computer and it was set up somewhere near the drum set in our kitchen in our basement which is terrible and he started like jamming real loud probably to santeria or probably i don't know basket case something that was going really hard and the drum stick slipped out of his hand bounced off his head into the computer wow got everything in one go just boom boom face head computer done but not the trumps anyway so now it got fixed and it's only going to cost him literally every allowance that he has until october <laughs> well uh, the computer seems to be behaving itself again so god bless it so here we are anyway so you may have noticed by our introduction which is a quote by poison we are talking about and i'm so excited because i am kind of the guest i'm the captain now um i am talking about hair bands specifically the music of poison um and you because she's very <laughs> enthusiastic like kermit the frog but anyway um and i'm I sure separated she, out her yay actually we'll insert it appropriately exactly yay anyway so we we're talking about hair metal if you don't understand what hair metal is hair metal is a genre that existed in the 80s and very early 90s um it was like hard rock but with the also called glam metal it was bands like poison and motley Crue and uh cinderella and rat um and those bands that were both, they played hard rock. They also played with super big hair and with lace and garters and mascara and like craziness. Poison, which is my favorite, uh, was a Central Pennsylvania based band. Central Pennsylvania is where I lived in the 90s and early 2000s. So I felt like I was some sort of some, somehow related to this. Poison consisted of four, four guys um brett michaels ricky rocket cc deville and uh bobby i'm forgetting bobby's name anyway so uh they were they had some of the dirtiest nastiest but most hilarious and self-aware songs of that era um that era 
technically the, the people in the music journalism world of which I am a part say that that band that era ended specifically when um grunge started in the early 90s and that the ascent of bands like Nirvana and Pearl Jam and Soundgarden um which were much more realistic in a much more down to earth very crunchy it was sort of a same instruments completely differently much more dissonance much less poppy much less campy much more serious and that that ended that area area era and i will say i like both eras but i miss poison um what do you what do you think of this sam i think people are missing out vastly on context here by not having the video um looking at the two of us discussing this um <laughs> because i am i am as 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 white as humanly possible when poison was a thing my hair was significantly longer than theirs nice. although generally in a ponytail and i could take or leave the the hair metal at the time um it was one of those it was uh in my world it was sort of a, a background noise that was pleasant but i didn't i was i was into either the folk music side yes. or ronnie james dio and and the the heavier of the heavy yes. metal and the classic rock the pink floyd the um led zeppelin so i it was it was tangential to things I love, but it was never the middle of my yes. sort of aesthetic. I've always thought, and this is something that if you listen to this podcast, you will know that I talk about all the time. And I think that criticism of most thing is based on gendered and gendered specific um, traits of a thing. And I think that I have discussed the fact that when we did the thing about bubblegum pop, that some of that was like just amazingly written stuff, but things that were written to appeal to girls, specifically young girls, um, are thought of as less serious, thought of as less weighty. And I think that things like hair metal, yeah, there are a lot of guys like that stuff, but I think that also there was a feminine, particularly with poison, there was a feminine injection of the sexuality there was like a i mean literally a line was um at the droby at the drive-in in your old man's ford behind the bushes telling screaming for more it is absolutely 100 nasty dirty stuff but there, it's a with a wink and a smile and they were a lot of those bands were very popular with women but poison played up that in their songs they played up the we're just these dirty boys who were looking for your daughters kind of a thing and it was even it was sleazy but it was less it was sleazy in a funnier way than say motley crew with the girls 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 kind of a thing which is kind of kind of funny because one of the big displacement things for poison was sleaze metal yes which which they weren't considered part of that was more of the guns and roses yes sort of you know and it was more skeevy looking than anything else once again guns and roses who guns and roses I, a little bit of everything i'm sorry the guns and roses was kind of a little bit of everything they were a little bit of everything and i think that guns and roses had once again a seriousness there was a sense of humor and a poison or even like a rat when you have milton burrell in the round around video and drag 
you know, that you didn't have in Guns N' Roses. They were super serious. I mean, amazing. November Rain is campy without admitting that it's campy. Like the video for November Rain, children, if you have not seen it, please watch this video where there is like this mini opera happening where Axl Rose is marrying supermodel Stephanie Seymour and this crazy wedding and somehow then she's dead and uh, Slash is going in front of the church that's burning. We don't know why. It just happens. And you're going, what? But once again, there's not a whole lot of wink. Yeah, yeah. It, it is it is the most unselfconsciously cheesy thing possibly ever produced for MTV. It, like they there's no wink and nod. They're playing completely seriously and it's yes. completely campy and it's ridiculous and I love it. I have watched it. I when that first came out, MTV back when they played um music would have these what? things they would they they had the best hype they would go up at five o'clock you know the world premiere of the and i remember waiting for it the uh guns and roses november rains like, oh it's gonna be great and i saw it when it first the very first time it aired and i was like the hell did i just watch <laughs> and it was brilliant and i taped it yes children actual tape um actual videotape because i could not get over it and you i always try to figure out where in the wedding scenario everything went wrong because it starts to rain and everybody starts like disrespectful wedding guests by the way they're jumping up they're jumping off a table they're like someone like steps in the wedding cake it's all someone left the cake out in the rain macarthur park that's something <laughs> we should talk about anyway so and then she's dead and we're like what and then the church is on fire and nobody explains it because it was 1980 no 89 maybe somewhere right in there yeah yeah and no one had to explain a thing no because it was a video and videos were just that's what they were you you, you told a story didn't have to be one story could be three stories it, you, exactly you, it could be you never know when you get that budget back again so just everything you ever thought of throw it in that video Dude, if and can you imagine being like a band like Rat to go? Can, who can we get? We got Milton Burl. Milton Burl, you know, it's like, hey, he done drag before. He's like, let's go for it, and it was <laughs> hilarious because you're right. There was this moment, guys. If you weren't there, the the 80s are looked at a time of excess, and they were, but they were also a time where even though there were very serious things happening, there was also like this. We don't know what we're doing or where things are going so we might as well like be stupid with it and so the glam part of it which is what i think the 90s in some ways was a reaction to the bigness of their hair metal um thing where it was like everybody had crazy hair that was super high and like they were wearing like all this makeup and once again i think that a lot of people who were it's interesting because it's a genre that was very masculine but also said we're also going to wear full makeup and didn't seem to spend a lot of time parsing that <laughs> that was so i will i will i will freely admit and and anyone who knew me at the time will probably freely even more freely admit for me um in high school i was i was very much a non-society enjoying human being sure um, didn't like high school, didn't like, you know, I was just, just, just like, I wanted to do art and be left alone. Um, 
I do, I say that in the past tense. I still want to do art and be left alone. But there you go. <laughs> but now he has a family, so yes. Uh, my plans come to nothing. Nothing. Um, <laughs> so I kind of I liked what I liked and didn't really pay attention to things I didn't like. And I still do that to some degree. And it's not um. I was thinking about because this 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 topic came up a little bit late in the day, but I was thinking about like I don't have an, I don't have opinions about poison one way or the other. Uh, it just didn't sort of it wasn't a thing I thought about. It was like, oh, that's pleasant. And that was, you know, there's no value judgment to it. Just like, not my thing, but pleasant enough. And I realized that that's, that's a lot of pop culture. Mm. And that's why I, I find, I, I always look forward to editing these podcasts because I hear looks and, and, and takes on things. And I'm like, huh, okay. There's, there's whole, there's whole, lines of sort of genealogy to pop culture that just passed me by like, that is yeah. so interesting and i think like my sister and i are obviously very pop culture led always have been um my sister obviously is in theater i am in journalism but there's always been an arts component to what i wrote about so some might say that i became a journalist and then found that I had more access to some of these arts things that I liked and to the people that created them than I would have. And it's just led. I mean, some people become sports journalists because they love sports, become business journalists because they love numbers. I became a music journalist and a pop culture journalist because I love pop culture. And Sam was saying before he was alluding to the fact that if you looked at either of us, neither of us necessarily look like either then or now like your typical hairband fans. I'm a black woman with short hair right now i'm wearing a rosie the riveter as a skeleton t-shirt and a pair of what i call my ska pants it's um yellow and black checkerboard leggings i look like i should be you know in mighty mighty boss tones or something it's really cool that's my vibe but in the in the 80s when this stuff was out i was super preppy um i wore like a lot of pink i dressed like on alternate days molly ringwald or you know whatever popular mall sprite was happening at the time but there was something about poison specifically that got me maybe it was because i was a cute like nice girl and i got both the shock of what they were singing about and also well three things the shock of it i understood the camp under it immediately understood the camp and i was raised on like uh rip taylor and dollar 98 beauty show you know i mean i was raised on like everything's got confetti and dance and strobe lights and stuff you know i just that's the pop culture aesthetic into which so that was very attractive to me also the third thing i got was that i understood that these were pretty talented musicians uh cc deville who was the guitarist just could shred the hell out of everything he was classically trained i think um, he trained for a while, strings with Itzhak Perlman. Um, Brett Michaels, uh, who is a singer and is a, you know, he's in everything. There was a while in the 2000s where he was, he was on this, like The Apprentice and he was on everything. He just like showed up and he has, he had a stroke. He has type one diabetes. He was almost dying every friggin' week. And it's just part of this like work ethic. He just was supposed to be at a thing. So he showed up. He's like, I was supposed to be here. So I came. There's also a really crack pop 
songwriter. I mean, I think that you look at something like Every Rose Has Its Thorn, which is, yes, it does not have a complicated lyric pattern, but it's a really freaking catchy song. And it's a song that you, if my nieces wouldn't know the word poison, but if I started singing that song, they'd know what it was. It's kind of existed in the zeitgeist. And to be the song that's singing Talk Dirty to Me and then singing mournful songs about every cowboy sings a sad, sad song. Once again, not complicated, not super sophisticated, but if you're talking about pop music, and that's really what it was as a, you know, effective three and a half minute bullet of memory. It really was. Well, and and uh, and every rose has a thorn was like this massive turning point in 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 I'll say heavy metal. Yeah, huh. literally, literally, and and I've actually talked to band members of bands of the time, and they're like, "Yeah, when I came out and went that big, every record producer was like, so we're gonna do a we're gonna do a ballad this time.'" And they're like, well, "Somebody, that's what we're doing." everybody had about Lynn and I used to laugh about this like and here's uh Cinderella you know nobody's full great song by the way um Skid Row I remember you that's a really freaking great song everybody had a ballad and it was as Sam alluded to everyone's have a storm was such a big hit and such a game changer in a sort of like um what's what I'm looking for sort of a craven uh monetary way yes absolutely you're going to go in that direction but also i think it extended the lives of some of those bands at least hit wise at least a couple more albums because that's what people were looking for you know um the band uh warrant uh led by the late great very brilliant and very troubled janie lane um i saw red and heaven are amazing songs and could have been honestly if you said okay here's cherry pie you go okay cheesy sleazy song and then you go i saw red which is about a guy recounting when he realizes his lover is cheating on him i saw red when i open up the door and i don't think i'm gonna love you anymore i mean it's it's that's a really exquisitely written song or like um Everybody was going through this thing where they all wanted to be like blue collar and whatever. It's and it, that was very much also the living on a prayer aesthetic where they're like, all right, now we're singing about working on the dock. Um, heaven is um, and I'm not gonna sing a lot of it because I don't want to pay anybody. Um, I got a picture of your house standing by the door. Um, and it's like I see the factory where I work silhouetted in the back. It's like we're just yeah, I don't need to be the king of the world as long as I'm the hero of this little girl. You know, it's so like overbearingly masculine in that Bruce Springsteen, Bon Jovi kind of a way, but it works as A, uh, Janie Lane saying like a freaking angel. It was, it had really well-written hooks and Here's the thing, Lynn and I, we, I wouldn't, I want to do a whole thing about key changes, about the fact that nobody does key changes in the music anymore because nobody can sing that well, really. Um, in the 80s, all the, your Whitney Houston's and your, you know, Denise Williams and everyone, all of them had a key change and all of these songs had a big key change because that's when the lighters come out, yep. you know, and there's a line, I don't know what to do, but I'm never up on you. And then it's like, 
there's this whoa in the back and it's like whoa and whatever and it's just like what and it was unexpected from the guys who who did cherry pie <laughs> well and the other beautiful thing about that is it also sort of it made it a th a thing that you do to put you know to bend your genre a little bit so um absolutely and i don't know what the, i don't i'm not going to say what the time frame is but i know i in 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 interviews i've heard several members like metallica saying that was kind of a, a formative thing for them because they would they went back and forth between speed metal and mm -hmm. and everything um and uh and, and part of it was and and i they have i'm reasonably certain i've seen them in concert a bunch of times but i'm reasonably certain i've seen them play every rose has a thorn as a joke but it worked and it was amazing that's I'm funny to, i'm trying to remember whether it was metallica or it was on one of those you know metal every metal band tours well think about kisses beth <laughs> yes the, the one song for the drummer <laughs> yes which is a great song but think about how beth not only was a song completely different but that like sam said opened another you could play beth on a slow rock station you could play beth at a slow dance you could play beth to an audience who never would have heard their other stuff like me because i had no interest in kiss and i remember hearing beth like on some like late night dedication song in the 80s like oh what's this this is kiss kiss with the dudes with the face and the cat and the thing what um and it did what it was supposed to do there's my favorite movie um as you guys probably know because i talk about it all the time is that thing you do and part of that thing you do is that the lead song was supposed to be a a, a ballad and then the drummer decides it should be fast because it's like it sounded better to him that way so there and then they drew drew a new audience they drew a different audience so there is such a juxtaposition between yes there's things that you do well and you should always do what you lo love and think you do well and i don't think that people should sell out but i also think i as in my 50s i have a greater appreciation of even approaching the concept of what selling out might be if that means that you get to do something also money is great I like money. I like things that are going to give me a new audience. And if I can do that in a way that is not completely um, antithetical to who I say I am, I don't, I don't think it's a problem. Well, and here's the other thing. There's two different ways of looking at, at, at selling out. One is from, you know, the, the fan point of view where you know that this band or this artist does this thing and you love it. And you look then there's from the band or the artist point of view where I've been doing this stupid thing for 20 years and I'm sick of it. I'm sick of it. I have played, I have played both sides of that. Yes. Um, back high school and just out of high school, I hooked into the Gothic Lolita phase and made a lot of clothing and accessories. And there were a good 10 years where if I never saw another piece of lace, my Ooh. life would be better. Yes. But at the same time, it got the rent paid for most of a decade. It got the rent paid. And guys, if you don't know, Sam does everything, but he does amazing like corsetry and all this stuff. And there's a lot I've wanted him to make me. And next, next time I see him, I'm going to beg him to do something like 
ridiculously steampunky uh, because it's just dramatic. We'll and we'll be up there in October. All right, we're gonna do that. Um, oh, so oh yeah. So the whole idea of selling it. There's a one of my favorite podcasts besides this one is called Sixty Songs That Explain the '90s, and now it's more than a hundred songs. Rob Harvilla from The Ringer is the host, and I've been on it a couple times. And he had an episode that I was not on with Ryder Strong, uh, who was on Boy Meets World, and he he's a great podcast that's out. But they were talking about um, Lisa Loeb's "Stay I Missed You" from Reality Bites, and such a a big thing of that movie was the concept of selling out. In the 90s, we were all worried about selling out, which as Robert Roger Ebert in his review of the movie said, seems to be selling out seems to me that you have a job that pays you money. <laughs> and that, like, yeah, I'm like, if you're selling, then by definition, you're selling out. Yes. And the minute, whole, the minute there's an interactive relationship involving money, you money. sold out. Exactly. And there's a, so there was let a it very, go. oh, it's so dumb. There is a very simplistic definition in the 90s, which was, if you do anything corporate, you're selling out. If you do anything that involves money or if you're not, if there's something very pure and uh, righteous about sleeping on your friend's couch, um, but the character Troy played by uh, Ethan Hawke in the movie is a guy who's sitting there with his band, um, hey, that's my bike, but he's like sleeping on his friend's couch. He's sneaking his laundry into their laundry. They have the Vicky, who's played by Jeannie Garofalo, has a job working at the Gap, and they kind of clown her for this job, but she's keeping the lights on. So you're able to like live your pure ideal as an artist, sucking up the labor the benefits of the labor of the person who's actually has the job, um, which is so problematic and so dumb and so things so typical of people that age. Um, and I sort of tie that back into the whole hair metal thing is that these guys were enjoying their conspicuous consumption. <laughs> they were like, we got money for champagne and buses and girls and everything else. And we are enjoying it. And so when grunge came and that aesthetic, which was, it shot through a filter with Vaseline on it in the basement down the river in the park and everyone's hair looks insane and no one looks happy and no one's smiling and their clothes all look like um, they dug them up from a gothic uh, cemetery or something or flannel or both. And um, you were no longer supposed to like anything. <laughs> and like, yet, and yet money was being made by these grungy looking people. Money. And that's was being why they were doing it. Anyone who says otherwise is lying. <laughs> yes. And so, and that's when suddenly everybody got acoustic. Cause then you had bands like, um extreme who i had never heard of before more than words you know um by the way one of the best ballads because they were like a hard rock band and yeah, then Nino, they did Nino more Bencourt than words was amazing shredding guitarist oh my gosh and then they do this acoustic thing where it's all black and white and they're all sitting there i mean once again great song they had a wholehearted i mean they had a couple really great songs wholehearted also a really great song they they could sing they were great musicians once again could write a freaking hook um 
just great. Um, and yes, it was cheesy as hell and they were making money. And it's like, you want this? We got another one. Um, I'm a, I'm a huge Van Halen fan, but okay, everyone's going to kill me. I'm a Van Hagar fan. Uh, yeah. Yes. And that is because the stuff and also was the age I was the early the late 70s early 80s Van Halen stuff I was a little black girl in Baltimore I had there was I was never going to run into it I there was not a thing that I was going to run into but when the 1984 album came out which came out when I was 13 and I could see uh Hot for Teacher and that kind of thing I got it it was fun um, but it still was not written for me you know so when Sammy Hagar came along in 1986 um, with the 5150 album and he wrote soaring beautiful ballads and pop songs he wrote um really beautiful um you know things like dreams and if it's love and the original van halen fans hated that stuff man and i get it but it was to me as a woman it was ballads it was like how do i know when it's love I don't know, tell me um i don't know <laughs> So now the funny thing is, I like, um, I like everything David Lee Roth did outside of Van Halen better than what he did with Van Halen. Yes, and I like most of what Van Halen did without him better than what I what they did with him. Although, like you say, I understand the appeal. I just felt like the yeah, I, yeah, the the Hagar stuff seemed to seem like a more coalesced, like everybody's on the same page. It did, and it it was very much a once again, if we're talking about commercial, it was more accessible. It was more pop. It was more you could do a video with the Blue Angels, you know, uh, pilot team, you know, where it was about dreams and hopes and stuff, rather than you know, Ice Cream Man, you know. Nothing wrong with that. There's a yeah. point to Dave, it. David Lee Roth should have been allowed to be a uh, a Louis Prima tribute band and, uh, and roll with that. That was his world. He was great at it. That 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 should have been yeah. That should have just been the thing. Yes, man. <laughs> I and once again, this is the thing about a lot of these hard rock and then the hair metal stuff. These were great singers. These there was a whole thing. Um, uh, on Twitter, uh, well, it's not Twitter, it's X, which is stupid. I'm not going to nope, call it's it Twitter. That. Yeah, it's Twitter. There was a whole thing on Black Twitter about how Bon Jovi, about John Bon Jovi, had has a ridiculously beautiful voice because he couldn't have done the stuff he did, even though it was framed in like big blonde hair and guitars and stuff it he had a beautiful voice and that once again key changes to do if you you can't not you can't do that key change in living on a prayer if you can't sing you can't um and i think that because there was a and traditionally black music there were so many singers who did not write their own music and in more white genres, it's like, if you don't write your music, you're not really a musician, you know, no one's going to tell me that um, Dionne Warwick is not a musician um, because her voice is her instrument. 
and her interpretation is her is her instrument. Um, and I think Whitney Houston, same thing. These people who never wrote their own songs, but it doesn't matter. I mean, that's why Hollywood. Say something about Aretha. Huh? I said, say something about Aretha. I don't dare you. <laughs> I mean, that's why Holland those were Holland existed. You know, that's why Smokey Robinson and Babyface exist to give voice to these these people. But if you look at someone like John Bon Jovi, who, yeah, if you were a person who was a R&B fan, you might look at him and go, what is that guy doing? And then he starts singing, you're like, whoa, you know, um, I just, there wasn't, once again, an enjoyment that you could look at those videos and tell that he and Richie Sambora and all these people were having a really great time. And they weren't pretending that it was drudgery. They weren't pretending that, oh, it's so terrible having all these girls want to sleep with us. It's terrible. Um, we're really, oh, no, I, couldn't, I couldn't possibly, yes. um, well, bring it back to poison. The one thing about poison that I like musically, they were, they were there for me. It was fine. Yeah. But Brett Michaels did interesting things vocally. And that always kind of caught my attention. He did. That's, that's the bit about poison. That I kind of like, and that's why I'm not gonna lie. I actually watched the season of, I don't even remember which one now, but one of Brett Michaels reality. <laughs> dating nonsense things Rock of love yeah yeah i felt bad about it and i was not proud of myself but i did i, I got hooked into it um but the same thing so there are a lot of like metal singers that i'm familiar with more so than the hair metal guys who are incredibly talented singers but not in the not in the same way like d schneider from twisted sister has the most amazing control over the most mm -hmm. horrifyingly gravelly voice ever um lemmy well, from motorhead yeah he, he has such control over everything that came out of his mouth um and well, yet i mean he sounded like he was being run over <laughs> oh lemmy but it, it's true because also those voices it was a performance thing and then once again i think that's where the the thread between your Motley Crues and your Poisons and even your Guns N' Roses was that these were bands, whether or not they took themselves seriously or not, who it was about the performance. I mean, you can't do a November Rain. You, know, you, you can have a dude at some point in your band named Buckethead who's literally wearing a Kentucky Fried Chicken bucket. <laughs> I'm sorry, Axel. I mean, come on. Um, and maybe the joke was that, you know, it wasn't supposed to be a joke. I don't know. But um, that there was a performance aspect that, yes, I've seen, you know, uh, it's a difference between, say, Nirvana, who I never got to see live, but you you can see that MTV Unplugged, which is amazing, and Kurt Cobain looks like he's miserable sitting there, you know, because that he was a musician, he was not, he did not want to be a star, the star part was not what he wanted, and then you look at someone like Dave Grohl, you know, who went from the drummer in Nirvana to, I think, one of the most important uh, frontmen of all time. He he is rock and roll. Yep. Dave Grohl, Foo Fighters is rock and roll right here, right now. Everything else is just a part of the Foo Fighters universe. It That's is. just how it is. I guess the difference is that, once again, Dave enjoys being a front man you do you have like the 1987 the uh, 1997 excuse me a big me video where they're doing the mentos the, the the take on the mentos commercials and it's just stupid and funny but once again freaking problems my my son is nine he is was just in a school of rock 90s thing so i play a lot of like weezer and and uh 
Green Day and Foo Fighters and stuff for him. And you know why he knows who Dave Grohl is? Because Dave Grohl did a video with this little girl named Nandi. Yes. Nandi. Who is so awesome. A little older than my son, and she's a little biracial girl. She's English. So my son first saw her videos a couple years ago and was drawn to her as a drummer because she's a drummer that kind of looks like him. And I said, Wanna hear something? She goes, What? And so she he she she, he she had not heard Everlong before he heard Nandy play it. And then there was the response video from Dave Grohl. So I we have watched the video where she finally plays with them. And, you know, rest in peace, Taylor Hawkins, um, who was so excited. They, they, you can see them bringing on the little drum set. And it was like, <laughs> and Taylor is off in the wings with his son watching. So when Taylor Hawkins, the drummer of the Foo Fighters who died, uh, I think about a year ago, and they did a, a tribute. And of course, Nandy came and 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 his son played my hero which is i cried through the whole watch this outpouring of emotion that the band was able to give and get back from the audience and be comfortable in that moment of shared emotion and grief is something that a lot of bands i don't think kurt could have done that i don't i don't think he could have could bear it because that's not who he was um, and there's there's a beauty and a purity of that. Truly, there's a beauty and a purity of that. But there's also a beauty and the purity of our friend died. And um, here we are, you know. It's all of our friends. Yeah. All of our friend. Taylor was everybody's friend and he was Nandy's friend. He was just that this band who these guys are old enough to be. They're probably older than her dad, you know, and, oh. you know, and that they welcomed her like a cool little sister. Yeah, and he played that whole the drum battle. He played it straight, and I think I think the he I don't think he's ever been happier in his life than when she legit spanked him. Spanked him. <laughs> he was like, yes. And that just because- rolled it out, and then it happened, and it was great. And he also he takes ruthless advantage of his fame. Everybody he likes and enjoys their music pulls him in. Yep. He's he's played with everybody, and he will bug people until they come play with him. You know, it's it's just amazing to watch. And uh, one of my favorite videos ever as a previously aspiring drummer, um, he more than once has pulled people up to play on yep. stage with them. Yep. I'm like, there's a guy who is just living his best life unapologetically and just making it happen. Which, once again, goes back to what I loved about hair metal and about poison is that there was an enjoyment. It was trashy. No, they're not the Foo Fighters, but they were people. I, I'm a person who loves what I do. I'm unabashed in loving what I do and writing about what I do. And everything I write is not like, you know, fun. I write a lot of fun stuff. Some of it is very serious, but I wrote a book about death that was also funny. So you can't get that out of me. Um, and I, I truly enjoyed it. I tried a job that I didn't love and I hated it. I was not great at it. and it was not great to or for me because it was I was not connected to it. I it was nothing that I loved and it didn't love me. So I was good and I'm really privileged that I get got to then go do something that I even loved even more again. Um and I think that the joy of it 
I I have no poker face about the love that I have of what I do. And I think that's why I connected to stuff like hair metal because they're like, yeah, it's, we make a lot of money and there's girls me and, you know, we're not sleeping on the floor anymore. And, you know, on the sunset strip, we're doing great. It's really great. Everything's working out, you know? <laughs> yeah, it, And it's, uh, like I said, that's one of the reasons why it was, I've never, but if you're going by the genres of music that I like, I should have despised hair metal. And sure. I just, I'm like, no, it's, it's fun. I like it. The aesthetic is good. And what's really funny is one of the reasons I enjoyed the hair metal aesthetic is because I enjoyed the kiss aesthetic. Yes. Taking absolutely nothing seriously. Just it's all presentation. And then it turned out competent musicians, but you know, it's I, all about the presentation. My son, when he was about to do his uh, little concert for the School of Rock thing, at first he thought he was going to wear one of his suits. And I got really excited because it was going to be like Bunny Carlos. It's like, woo! One cheap trick, another band of amazing musicians who did not take themselves seriously, who just, just did not, but were so good. And then he decided he just wanted to wear a hoodie. I was like, dang it! <laughs> so close. Yes, yeah, so close. Anyway, Sam, this has been really fun. So I wanted to ask you, um, hair bands, hair metal, poison, still cheesy? Uh, unabashedly, joyfully, wonderfully cheesy. Absolutely. And I, I am even more convinced that they're cheese and love them even more. Like I said, I have no shame. I'm a shameless lover of things that are cheesy and don't think need things to be critically acclaimed to love them. So, which is why we do this show. So, um, shout out to Lynn, um, who actually called me, uh, while we were doing this recording, I'm hoping everything's fine with her. Um, and so sorry, she's not here to, um, giggle uncontrollably and, sing because i have an okay voice lynn has a better voice than me and she would have like made you cry which is with enough of every rose has its thorn that we would not get sued for uh singing so anyway right, hang on uh, hang on no 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 you don't oh no you don't all right you have to answer since this was your topic poison cheesy not cheesy Derek very and what is cheesy cheesy to me is something that is utterly sincerely there that is not concerned with refinement that is not necessarily concerned with whether it is what's good really it's something that is unabashedly emotional it is something that is probably straightforward straight ahead not ironic it just it wears its heart or whatever it is you're looking for on its sleeve. It is, um, and some mo a lot of things that I like that are cheesy are meant to be. There's some things that tried so hard not to be cheesy and are anyway. <laughs> uh, so, you know, and it's the stuff that those of us who are trained in a thing um, are like, maybe we shouldn't like that because it's not super serious and where's the provenance of it it's like the provenance of it is like girls and sugar and like <laughs> dumbness and so that's the kind of thing that we think of as cheesy and the thing that we've done about the show has been about stuff that you don't have to what's good it's good if you like it it's good um i my friend jonathan sheck 
who um, I know what he's going to talk about, who was in that thing you do. He and I, I mean, he's a real serious artist, but also he was in a sequel nobody saw of Roadhouse. And we just laugh about that thing all the time because nobody thought it was freaking art, but it was like, it was fun to do. It's fun to beat people up in a movie, you know? It's like uh, Sam actually was with us. He and his wife, Nikki, who was my oldest friend besides my sister, they came to visit my parents one Christmas. And uh, my husband had bought me the DVD of Roadhouse. And we watched Roadhouse and Next of Kin or was it next to Ken? It was next to Ken. We watched terrible movies sitting in my parents' house. And do you remember that, Sam? Yes. Yes. I remember, and just I remember being told one does not speak when Patrick Swayze is on the screen, and one does not even one does not even breathe when he is not wearing a shirt. No, we just and I like, don't remember, I don't remember whose rule it was, but it is apparently an Me or your wife's one or the other, but yeah. um could have gone either way. Yeah, could have gone either way, but the, we love this stuff because it was so stupid. Patrick Swayze, by the way, perfect example of this. Patrick Swayze was a ballet-trained dancer. He was a serious artist who looked like a cow, who was also a cowboy, who looked like a Greek freaking god. And so many of his characters were these guys who were these, look like these big lunks of sex, but also had a soul. And it was soulful. And so the Dalton that he played in Roadhouse was a Tai Chi practitioner who also would kick your butt. And he was like a rock star, literally like a guy who was a rock star as a bouncer because bouncers had echelons and he was on the top echelon everyone he was famous he's Dalton he comes and he kicks people's butts and everyone loves what he's doing tai chi and having sex in the water with kelly lynch it was all crazy uh and we it was so stupid and, it was and so stupid. sam elliott <laughs> and sam elliott um we'll never forgive what happened to sam elliott in the movie but anyway um that that's what cheesy is and i i embrace cheese i there are things that i take seriously but I don't take myself seriously. I take my art seriously and my writing seriously, but not me. And that allows me, I think, to be more clear about what I do. And I think it allows me to be more accessible in what I write because I'm approachable. And I think that cheese is approachable and accessible. I think that cheese is delicious if you don't think about it too much. You just let it wash over you and go, yeah, here's what I'm doing, man. So, yeah. Excellent. I've been wanting to get you to answer that question since the first one I edited. Excellent. And oh, so they're almost touched on it. He them trains right in. So the train still on the track <laughs> hasn't wandered off down a, a hill and gone. Oh, look, it's flowers. <laughs> look, it's a bull sniffing flowers. Look, it's poppies. We watched um, uh, Wizard of Oz for the first time with my child. I think it got all the way through. And he's like, what are poppies? I'm like, don't worry about it. <laughs> it doesn't matter because <laughs> they were high my mother goes you know what poppies are right she goes opium i'm like say what now it's like this is it a children's she's like don't worry about it <laughs> it just it was a different time it was a hey kids you didn't have been everything you think that you and Dick, you invented sex drugs and rock and roll no ma'am a children's movie where a witch is trying to kill a child and leading her through a poppy field yeah <laughs> That's hardcore. Anyway, thank you guys so much for listening. Um, next time, I think the next show, I will not be here. So it'll be Sam and Lynn 
and maybe a guest but Sam, I don't know. I'm not going to be here, but it's going to be fun. Uh, thanks for listening. Uh, keep it easy. Keep it breezy. Keep it cheesy. Yeah.